this week, um, Christianity came out, Christianity Today came out with an article that, that kind of, for me, helped finish out a story that I heard about a long time ago. It talks about the, the, the girls, the Christian girls who were kidnapped from Chibok, Nigeria by Boko Haram back in 2014. And maybe you remember hearing that story. There were 300 students, um, I, I believe all of them girls, kidnapped and taken away. And at first, you know, no one noticed. And then, then it became like a, um, a hashtag, bring back our girls. And worldwide, everyone talked about it. And, and I never really kind of remember hearing, like, what happened with that. Well, some of them were rescued. Many of them were rescued, but not all. And... The, the newspaper, the magazine had a chance to interview 20 of the girls and to hear about their experiences and, and, and what they did. And so I want to highlight a couple of them. One was Naomi. Um, she was an older student, uh, but she loved uh, Christian music and uh, the Nigerian singer especially. And she, she kind of had the sense that someday she would be a pastor's wife. So that was Naomi. And then another student that got inter- interviewed, uh, was na- her name was Lydia. And she was like a really sharp, good student. She got good grades. Um, but she really struggled through, through the, the kidnapping time. And, and what happened really throughout this whole time, the girls were kept in an isolated place. The Boko Haram soldiers were, were trying to convert them to Islam and to the Boko Haram teachings. And these girls had were, were all Christians. It was a, a Church of the Brethren school that they were kidnapped from. Um, and so these girls faced daily pressure to give up their faith in Christ and join this, this group. And, and really to marry one of their soldiers is what they, they were invited to do. And they promised, the girls were not really given food. They had to scrounge for what they could find. But they were told that if they did convert and marry, then they would be given food. Or uh, they were told lies, such as their parents were dead and that the, their town in Nigeria now flew the Boko Haram flag. And um, where in actuality, the, the mothers of these girls were fasting and praying and pressuring lawmakers to try to do something to bring them back. Here's a description of what they faced from the article. It says, These young women had endured three years of captivity, deprivation, and pressure to convert to Boko Haram's creed, and they did it by holding on to their friendships and their faith. At the risks of beatings and torture, they whispered prayers together at night or into cups of water and memorized the book of Job from a smuggled Bible. One of the things as they were, would go around, they would encourage one another at a little phrase, just be faithful, just be faithful. Um, they knew the pressure they were facing and they supported one another to, to get through that time. They, the fighters wanted them to memorize uh, verses from the Quran and gave them notebooks so they could write down these verses. Well, instead, the girls used the, the notebooks to di- diary or journal about their experiences and they shared their things and they kept them hidden, you know, so that they wouldn't be caught. But they, they would share about, you know, their, their experiences in it. And that helped give them strength. And I, I just remember the, that question as would these girls be rescued? 
And would they stay faithful in their faith? Would they be able to hold on to their faith in Jesus through it? And, and it, was, it was encouraging to read the, the article just that they did. At least these girls, and not, not just these two, Naomi and Lydia, but others as well, held on and, and stayed faithful and were rescued eventually. Um, I share this because there's a little bit of a similar dynamic in our passage today. In 1 Thessalonians 3, we start to get the pieces of the story that help us understand what's going on in the, the Thessalonians and really even the purpose of the letter. So up to this point, um, we had talked about how Paul and Silas had gone to Thessalonica, had brought the gospel, and had received a great response and that many devout Greeks had put their faith in Jesus, had, had believed Paul and joined and heard the message, and, but that with their faith came opposition, such that Paul and Silas were forced to, to flee the city, even after only a short time of, of these new believers. And they knew that these new believers would face ongoing con, con, uh, afflictions and pressure. And the question that Paul had is, would they hold on? Would they, would they hold on to their faith in Jesus through what they would face? And so it's in chapter 3, we start to get the pieces. And so I'm going to go through the chapter, and I'm going to bounce around a lot, because I want to I want you to hear it as kind of the story as a whole. And so the sermon handout might help if you see the, the progression of, of what we knew. So in verse 3, Paul talked about that they would not be moved by these afflictions, in other words, he realized that it would be possible for some of the believers to, to, to lose their faith, to be moved away from Jesus through the hardships and the trials that they were going to go through. And in verse 5, it says, I feared that the tempter would, have, would tempt you and our labor would be in vain. You know, this is the second time now he refers to God's enemy. Back in chapter 2, he talked about Satan the, uh, as, as um, keeping him from going back to Thessalonica. Now he talks about the enemy as the tempter, the one who would try to lead them away from faith in Jesus. And so their, their, their efforts to bring the gospel to that city would, would come to nothing, would be in vain. And so he's talking about the subtle pressure that they would face pressure from their own countrymen, um, just as as the church in Jerusalem had faced it from their countrymen. So now in the Greek world, they would face pressure uh, to give in, to go along with society's version. They, they would have grown up in the, the pagan religion and the city they lived in wanted them to continue to worship the, the Greek gods and to, to, to give up that worship, to give up the idol worship and to turn to Jesus. They would have been, that would have been shameful. And so the, Society would have brought pressure upon them. And we have this natural desire to fit in, do we not? To, to be seen as normal, to, to not be viewed as an oddball, but, but a good person. And so there's that temptation to downplay our faith in Christ, maybe even start going along with the things that everyone else is doing just so that we can get along. And we start taking a few steps further along where everyone else is at and further away from Christ and it can lead us away. That's what Paul was worried about for these Thessalonian believers. In verse 4, it talks about how he tried to prepare them for these afflictions. 
in the short time he had, you know, he said, we, you know, we taught you that you would face these type of hardships, that that was part of it. He even said that we were destined for this, right? We were destined to face these kind of hardships. The truth is, when you think, when you think about, you know, what is, what are we destined for? Well, we're destined for great things is what we normally think. And, and we are. It says that we are destined to be glorified with Christ. In Romans 8, 17, it says we are children of God. And if we are children, that means we are heirs, right? We inherit. And, and we will inherit and be co-heirs with Christ. But it says, if indeed we suffer with him. We both inherit the sufferings, the afflictions, but then it says, then we may also be glorified with him. We will inherit not just eternal life, but, uh, but the glory of Christ will be, will be part of that inheritance. So, so Paul tried to prepare them for these afflictions, but he only had a short time. And so after he was forced to, to leave, him and Silas, it says he was distressed. In verse 7, it says, For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction. He, he did not know how his friends were doing and whether they would still be walking with Jesus. Back when we started the letter, back in chapter 1, verse 2, Paul stated that they were constantly praying for the Thessalonians. You're constantly in our prayers. It's because, partially because of that worry. Um, it also said back in chapter 1 that Paul has, was hopeful for them. He says, we, we knew that God had chosen you, Right, but, but because of the way you received the gospel, how you received it as the word of God, not the word of men, we knew that God's hand was upon you, that he, he brought this conversion about, that it wasn't just our teaching. And he, so he was confident and yet, right? Oh, I knew you would hold on to Jesus, but you still had that fear and worry. And so he also knew that there was something lacking in your faith. In verse 10, it talks about that he needed to supply what is lacking in your faith. He had so little time with them, he knew there were things he had not had time to teach them, to, 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 to convey to them about being established in Christ. And we also know that he was hindered from going back. It says that they were in Athens, verse 1. So they were in Athens, which is 300 miles away from Thessalonica. It's all the way down the, the Greek coastline in a whole other part of, of the country. So Thessalonica is like the capital city of Macedonia, and um, it's kind of a part of Greece, but also a separate part, like the north and the south kind of a deal. And so Athens is down, of course, in the heart of, of Greece. And, and they were hindered. If they would go back to Thessalonica, the opposition would, would start up all over again and and it would actually probably cause more trouble for the Thessalonian believers. And Paul and Silas were, were so well recognized that they, they couldn't go. People would recognize them immediately. And so what would they do? Well, here, as we learn, they sent Timothy. Said so Timothy, our, God, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, they sent him into back to Thessalonica. Now, why could Timothy go? One, he's, he's a young guy. Um, he, he wouldn't have been seen as a leader or anything. Um, he, the other reason is he was partially Greek. He had a Greek father, 
where Paul and Silas would be kind of recognized more immediately, Timothy would, would fit in with what he was doing. And so he could get in the city and not be noticed. Um, and so Timothy traveled, possibly by ship, maybe by road. That's a, it's a long way to go. And he was sent there to establish and exhort you in the faith, to, to help the, the Thessalonians be grounded in their faith in, in God. So that's what they had done. And now it says in verse 6, Timothy had come back. And he came back with good news. Now that his Timothy has come to us from you, and he's brought good news. Um, the good news, first of all, that their, their faith and love continue. And he also reports that they remember Paul and Silas well, kindly. Like they, they weren't like, oh, I can't, those guys just cause trouble for us. No, no, they, they look fondly. In fact, they want to see them again when, when the time is right. And so hearing from Timothy, that's what sparked Paul to write this letter, right? He's, he's relieved that the, they've held on in faith. Verse eight says, for now we live if you're standing in the faith. They're so glad that, um, that they're standing strong in faith, that they've made it through the persecution and that they, they've not given up the fight, not given up following Jesus. And says now in verse 9 that Paul is full of thanksgiving. It says, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? And it says they continue now to pray uh, for them, even though now they know good news has happened. It says, now we pray that we may see you face to face. He's still hoping for the chance to go back and visit with the Thessalonians face to face and, and, and help them get more established, supply what is lacking in your faith. He's praying for that opportunity, um, even though right now that way is blocked. And then in verse 11, he makes that part of his prayer. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus, direct our road to you, our path to you. And so he's praying that God would open up that door. God has to do it. You know, the situation is such that he can't now, but if God opens the door, it'll happen. And then he continues to pray in verse 12. He, he has a three-part prayer for the Thessalonians. Now his ongoing prayer. First of all, he prays that the Lord would make you increase. That because of their steadfast faith in Jesus, others will be drawn to respond to the gospel. That, that their, their, their standing strong would be a public declaration within their city that they are following the true God, the living one, the one that can truly save, not the false gods of the Greek world. So he prays that they would increase. He prays that they would um, abound in love for one another and for all people. That they'd continue to learn to love one another in, in the body, but also love the people, even those who are against them. As Jesus said, loving not just those who love you back, but loving even our enemies. And then he, the third part of a prayer, he says, establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God, that they would learn to put their faith into practice and live it out in a culture that's living a completely different way that they would learn to live in the holiness of God versus the, the, the ways of the world. And that they would do that all the way up to the time when Jesus returns, to the return of Christ. Could we make that our prayer for e EGCC 
that we would increase, that God would, through us, offer up the, the word of life to those who, who, are, who, are, who want to reconnect with God, that we would, we would be faithful to God in such a way that it would bear witness to Jesus. And can we pray that we would increase and abound in our love for one another and for, for all people, that, that our goal is, is we learn to love God and love others as we follow Jesus together. That's our, that's our mission here at East Glenville. And then the third part of the prayer is that he would establish our hearts as blameless and holiness into, into holiness, that we would learn what it looks like to follow Jesus in all of our life and the nooks and crannies and the things that, that we do, that, that there'd be nothing in our life that someone can look at and, and say, so you're a follower of Jesus? That our lives would be set up in that way. I, I wanted to pull together the info so you could sort of see the story of the letter, behind the letter. I, there were three words that stuck out to me as I studied this. And three words in Greek. And so I, I think that might help how we apply this today. The first word is sterikai. It means establish or strengthen. Paul uses it twice in verse 3 and 13. And it's, it's the idea that we, would be, we need to be established in our faith. I, I picture, you know, when a, the gospel is like a seed, Right. But a seed for it to grow into a good tree, it has to grow deep roots. It has to be established so that the wind and the storms of life won't blow it over. And that's what it looks like when sterikai, that your faith would be established in such a way that you're not thrown off by difficulties and trials and hardships, that you've learned that, that, that Jesus roots you in your life, that is one of our major goals for, for the people here as we, we gather in worship, um, that you grow in knowledge of the scriptures, that you would develop close relationships and good relationships within the fellowship of believers, that you would build your faith practices, your spiritual disciplines to help develop those roots so you can stand fast. We're not the kind of church that's just trying to attract as many as possible. Um, there are some churches that do that, and, and that is their, their main thing, and that's, that's great. We're not just trying to get as, as many people to show up. We want to enable people to grow deep roots in their faith and to develop an unshakable faith. That's part of our mission here at East Glenville. The second word, I love this Greek word, it's thlipsis. It's theta lambda is the first two, you know, but for us, it's THL. It's a fun little word, thlipsis. It's used in verse three, four, and seven. And it means afflictions, persecutions, hardships, or tribulations. Jesus said one day we're going to have a mega thlipsis, a great tribulation, right? And, and within that, it, it's, it's something that's a part of what it means to follow Jesus. We, we suffer with him knowing that one day we'll be glorified with him. And so it's vital that we support and encourage one another in the hardships of life. That we find our strength as we walk together, as we, we could go around and like those girls in, in Nigeria, just be faithful. Just be faithful. 
God's with us. Just be faithful. Don't give up. That's what we need for one another in those difficult times. We all face times when our faith bottoms out. We all face times our emotions go up and down, and sometimes it's difficult to follow Jesus and to believe it's all good and true, and we need each other to come underneath and, and keep us strong. Flipsis. It's, um, it's why we, we, one thing we do is we support one another. Kate, Kate produces the, the thing we give out each month where we, we give us what's happening in a foreign country. We, we need to support believers in other countries who face far greater persecution than we do. And so we're trying to make sure we include in our prayers, praying for our fellow Christians under persecution and not just, not just ourselves. I think as Americans, we, we're kind of used to things being easy and prosperity, and we, we can get thinking that wealth and ease are what's really important. I think as we understand that we were destined for this, destined as followers of Jesus to face hardships, knowing that ultimately we'll be with him in glory. Jesus said, I've told you these things, that in me you might have peace. In this world you will have Flipsis, you will have hardships, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The last word that uh, really jumped out to me, so used only once, but it's, it's sunogern, sunergon, and it's replied to Timothy, and it means co-worker, but you may recognize the word, it's, it's synergy, right? Synergy, working together, co-worker, Timothy um, was this young man who Paul was setting up to be a future leader in the church. And I, I suspect this may have been one of his first assignments. This is Th Thessalonians is one of the earlier letters of Paul. And this could have been one of the first things that Timothy did to, to, to grow as a coworker of Paul. You know, prior to this, it was always Paul and Silas. And for those who um, I started to picture this even in the last day. For those of you who watch Marvel, I started to think of Paul as Tony Stark, right? And and Timothy as as Peter Parker, Spider-Man, right? Now, if you've watched those things, like, you know, uh, little Spider-Man, he's like this high school guy, and he's like, yes, Mr. Stark, what do you, you know? And he's given these small little assignments, but eventually, at the end of the, the Spider-Man series, it's... Stark gives to, to Peter Parker like he entrusts him with the, the mission as he's going to be leaving. So he entrusts, it's kind of like that. So Timothy is, is given this, this um, little mission, go to the city, encourage them, teach them if they're missing anything, correct it, and then bring back news. And later on, Timothy would be sent elsewhere as he grows in his work. And in Philippians, Paul says this about Timothy. So this is later. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be generally concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father he has served me with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that is shortly I myself will come also. So Timothy, eventually Timothy is sent to Ephesus 
and he becomes effectively a pastor in Ephesus. And Paul writes letters to him, giving him further instructions. When I think about the ministry I've done, I'm getting on the verge of becoming an old pastor now. But God has given me oftentimes younger people that I've worked with and have been key parts. And one that came to mind was a, um, a guy named Joe Phipps. So when I was doing Young Life in, in rural Ohio, Joe was uh, in the marching band and he, he got involved in the ministry. He started coming to Young Life and he, he came from a difficult background family, not, didn't have a lot of stuff, but he just signed on. And he eventually, he, he convinced the whole marching band to come to Young Life. And, and we just, you know, it, he made Young Life at Buckeye Trail happen. We were just trying to get it off the ground. And, and now Joe was, was a hoot. Like, he, he was easily distracted. Like, he, he was a drummer. He was in percussion. And he'd, he'd always be like, bop, 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 you know, like, and said, Joe, pay attention. You know, it would be in Bible study and I have to get his attention. But, but man, he had just had that heart for people. And, and he was a great coworker. Another time when I was a pastor, we, we hired a, a young woman who was just out of college to be our outreach coordinator. We wanted to try to do a better job at reaching out in the community. And Hillary came. She moved from Kansas to Ohio. And she, she took on this, this job. And she had creative ideas. I, uh, she was an art major. And I thought, oh, okay, I guess we're, you know. But she had such creativity. And so, so one of her projects she did is she did this Christmas nativity scene, a community-wide. And so they had this, we had an art gallery right next to our church, and we did it there. And they had this huge space. We bought a ton of clay. And anyone from the community, we advertised it, promoted it, could come and add to the nativity set. Come make a, a magi, a wise man. And she had a professional sculptor make baby Jesus, you know. But it was drawing people into the Christmas story. Later, another thing she did is we actually, she actually hosted a, an art show based around Good Friday. And we turned our, our, uh, uh, one of our rooms in the church basically into an art gallery. And we had like a huge number of submissions with prizes and everything. And, and so that was another way of connecting to the community and getting them to think about the story of Jesus. So when I think about the coworkers, the young people, and I know in our world right now, we're in, it's a new situation. And sometimes us old Christians, we look out and like, I don't know what's going to happen to this world, right? Young people, do the old people around you ever get grumpy? Like, I don't know, it's gonna, I think it's going down the tubes, you know? Like, like, we need the young co-workers. We need the Timothys who may see solutions that, that we're not going to get there, who may see ways of reaching into the gospel, that, that are beyond us. And, and, and my older, mature Christian friends, can we keep our eyes out for the Timothys, the co-workers, and, and give them a little freedom to, to, to do some things and, and be a part of the, the, the work of the kingdom with us, that we can support and encourage them and open up doors so that the kingdom of Christ may go further. That's our calling. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that, that even in the midst of, of hardships and trials, that you hold on to us. 
Lord, I thank you that you've given us the the church to support and encourage us through the most difficult times. I thank you that your presence is with us, that, that you hold us to yourself. And Lord Jesus, may you just open doors for the gospel. May even the difficult things we face give us new opportunities to lift up the name of Jesus in our community. We pray this in his name. Amen.